This hangout is live. Yes, it is. Kick this, us off. This is episode 30 of the Push to Shout podcast. Uh, sorry we're two days late. Uh, I was on vacation. I was in St. Lucia for a wedding that was not to be. It was called off a month before. I won't go into the details, but we enjoyed the vacation nonetheless. Uh, I hope everyone has had a good week and two days. I certainly have. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't involved a whole lot of video games or movies or pop culture. Uh, I wanted to see Mad Max the day before I went off on vacation, but it didn't end up happening. And so I have almost nothing to talk about. Uh, but I'm sure that my co-host Michael here probably has some things to say. By the way, I'm Skippy, and this is Michael, and this is the Push Shout Podcast. Uh, how are you, Mike? Doing great. It's been good. Swell, even. Uh, just been picking up on The Witcher 2, playing more Crypt of the Necrodancer. Um, give me one second. Oh, great. He's walking out on the podcast, everyone. Right when we go live, he he just gets up okay. and leaves. Sorry oh, he's that. back. Fine. So I started playing The, uh, the Witcher 2. And now he's gone again! It's this is insanity on air. I'm having to hold down the fort alone. I <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, you're having, you're making me sit here and 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 yeah, cover my arrived and uh, yeah, had to interact with some real people for a second. Ew. Yeah. So anyway, been picking up The Witcher two. Uh, it doesn't really run run that well on my laptop because it's a really demanding game but i managed to pick up the game on the sale when it was like three dollars and wow it's like been more than worth it um so i assume your your plan is to play through witcher 2 before playing witcher 3 yeah it's i'm in a bit of a tough spot for that because um i don't think i'm really going to be able to run the witcher 3 at all on this laptop i found like a, a workable combination of of like low resolution and low settings that have made The Witcher 2 barely playable. You should probably but get a gaming laptop. You should get an Alienware. A gaming laptop. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I mean, I could probably run it like 20 FPS or something. Or I could get it on PS4. Neither uh. of those is really optimal. Uh, and I don't know if I'm really willing to drop $120 just to save a couple months. But The Witcher 2... I'm, I wish I'd played it earlier, because that, that's a really, really good game, so far at least. I think I've just finished up Act 1, but just kind of imagine if they did, like, the, the politics and the world-building and the characters. Imagine if what Skyrim was trying to do was actually effectively done and wasn't completely generic and wasn't, you know, you could go on and on like that. It's a really effectively realized world. Um, and Mr. Beatung actually has a couple good videos on it. Uh, the politics and it's complex and it's realistic. And I mean, there's magic in the world. It's not, you know, an actual representation of reality. But given those what if conditions, everything plays out in a pretty realistic and grounded way. And it's also refreshing to actually play a character. Like you're not just some. Um, cookie, not cookie cutter, but you're not a character generated. A white hetero male. Husk. Well, you are a white hetero male uh, with cool cat eyes, though. So he's another kin. There you oh. go. But it, there's just so much that you could say about it. The combat 
isn't like Dark Souls good, but it, it feels really nice to kind of whip around and do these fast, fast moves. It feels really responsive. Yeah, I've heard a lot um, of people complain about the combat of the Witcher series, and even Witcher 3 people say it's still like the weak point. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the weakest, but it's still like good. Yeah. Um, not great, I guess. One of the cool parts, just to name one thing, is the uh, persuasion system. Or like the the spell that kind of it's almost like a Jedi mind trick. It's called Axie, and you can use it in certain conversation points. And it's kind of interesting because it's not it's like a blend of regular persuasion and mind control. So he can't like convince people to do things that they wouldn't want to do if he really was able to persuade them. It's you, so he kind of has to mix this spell with an actual argument to persuade them. So the, that ex, the execution of that is, is pretty good. I don't know. I've got a lot to say about it, but it's kind of hard to pick where to start. It's just really well done. Good. Glad to hear it. I, I don't know why, but I've just never even been able to interest myself in that series, although it does kind of sound up my alley. Like Basically, like the whole idea of Skyrim except good <laughs> really appeals to me a lot. Uh, so... I don't know. I, yeah, I, I mean, I it's significantly to... different. It's Slavic mythology, so it, it yeah. avoids like tokenisms for the most part. There's a little bit of it, but it's a it's a unique and specific, well fleshed out fantasy world. Yeah, well, it's based on books that were written before yeah. the games, right? And that I, yes. I don't know if any. I've never even heard of any other games really doing that, except like games that adapt from books after the books have already been adapted into movies and stuff. Uh, I, I, I would probably, I'd kind of like to see more games try that out, but it's kind of weird to like to hear that there's dialogue options and stuff. If it follows the same story as a, a narrative of a, of a book or maybe, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know how works. Um, I mean, I'm not that far. I'm just finishing up act one, but I've already had one major choice to make and it seems to be a pretty substantial divergence in how the game will actually play out. I don't know how much of that is true, but I've heard this before, too, that the game differs substantially depending on a certain set of choices you make. Yeah, oh, someone in chat pointed out that uh, Metro 2033 was a game based off of a book, uh, which I didn't know. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't read that, but yes, that that was based on a book. Well, cool. Uh God, I'm trying to think oh, of... Oh, Tom Clancy games, too, somebody pointed out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. I'd like to see more games like that, I guess. Although the Tom Clancy games... I think that they I think that they really just take the, Some the author's name and, and stick it <laughs> yeah. on there. It's really just a licensing thing, but... Uh, yeah, the... Um, my week... My last week... Let's see, what did I do? I caught up on Archer, except I didn't get all the way caught up, but that's an okay TV show. Uh, not anything to say about that one. Uh, let's see. I read a lot of the Game of Thrones, the first book, uh, because I was on the plane, and I'm enjoying it. I also went back and looked at some of the Lord of the Rings, like the pieces that I mentioned yesterday, like the excerpts from the book that I thought were really well written, and... I, I'd forgotten how awesomely written they are, and people should people should read the Lord of the Rings because I think a lot of people just kind of say, "Well, I mean, it's whatever," but I think it's really good. Although I don't know, maybe I can't recommend it to everyone. Uh, you probably have to be a true 
loser to really enjoy the Lord of the Rings. But they're uh, worth a read. I mean, they're so such a yeah. big part of culture that you kind of have to. It's like the Bible. It's just as important. Yeah. <laughs> to some people, at least. Uh, I, I'll tell you what happened. Mad Men season finale happened. Or series yeah, finale. Yeah, okay, so... Th- I haven't talked to you about this yet, but this is what we're going to do. And it might not be oh. tomorrow, but have you seen uh, Mega64's spoiler cast for uh, EVA 3.33? No, I have heard them. I've heard the name it's spoiler like, cast. It was like a really long podcast they did when um, the third Evangelion movie came out in the U.S. on Blu-ray. And they just, I think that's when it was, but they just had a really long, really in-depth spoilery discussion of it. And we can still talk about the finale a little bit now, but I'd like to do that for Mad Men with us on like a bonus episode yeah. sometime tomorrow or you know soon. We should think I of think a good name cool. for it because I'd like to do that with other stuff too. Yeah, because that's a show where there's so much meat there, so much substance, that it's kind of like doing it a disservice to have to... Uh, you know, dance around certain I, I developments. Rec- yeah. and- I received f- specific requests to talk about Mad Men at length. Uh, people want the people want to know our opinions on Mad Men, so uh, we must give it. Uh, but I mean, yeah. we can we can shortly. Yeah, I mean, we talk we about our talk feelings about it now. You, you I start. Think it was, I think it was a fantastic finale. Uh, I mean, me too. It everything felt. Just about everything felt inevitable, felt like that's where it was always meant to head. And, uh, God, I'm tr- it's hard to talk about without being able to get specific. But there was one thing that I didn't quite like all that much, or it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't perfect. Like, the rest of it was actually perfect. And that was the resolution of the Peggy storyline. You know what I'm talking hmm, about? Yeah. I, like I didn't to... think it was bad. I think it was actually good, but it, it wasn't as like perfectly built up to and executed as I thought the rest of it was. Yeah, I mean, again, this is god damn. I really wish we could just go into specifics, but it, we should do just a dedicated podcast. I, I liked that ending just fine. Um, I thought that there wasn't much of a, another way you could do it because yeah. her character, her character is such a like the future is open and and so you can't wrap up peggy like she has to be just kind of like oh yeah yeah i i don't think it was i don't think i wanted something more inclusive for her cuz you know she's young that would be ridiculous yeah but it all the well not all but most of the legwork on building up that specific ending was done in the last episode and at least for the other characters, you kind of got the the start of the end in the episode prior. Yeah. Um, and I that she didn't get quite the same treatment. It's not so bad because she's not the protagonist, but she is a really really important I, character. I would consider her the second protagonist, the like, deuteragonist. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think so. that professionally, she probably got the perfect ending that she could have. The choice that she makes, you know, though having to talk about it like this is so <laughs> annoying, but the choice she makes professionally seemed like the right thing yeah. for her. Yeah, and and it was it was unexpected in a way that was kind of interesting. It it was un, unexpected, but also like right when she made the choice, you kind of went, okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, I was surprised that they gave pretty much everyone 
happy endings. Uh, in retrospect, I'm not as surprised, but at the time, I was kind of surprised that like people like Roger and Pete and Don got pretty happy endings. Uh, I, I, I'm, I think I, I, Don, I'm fine with it. And Don's Don's, Don's ending was ended, perfect. Don's was absolutely perfect. I agree. I love to see one of my favorite themes of the show was the uh, kind of juxtaposition between the West Coast and the East Coast and the themes that went along with that and the and the, the way that people acted when they were on the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast and like the kind of like fantasy appeal that that for some reason like Los Angeles had. And the fact that Don goes there and like kind of finds himself is uh Yeah. It, it, they did it really well. I thought it was kinda interesting. The uh like every time in the show when they go out to LA or they go out to the West, it's always like this very kind of dreamy yeah. philosophical discovery going on. Like dreamy and, is the perfect way to put it, because a lot of it doesn't even really feel real. Like it feels yeah. fake almost. And and that's kind of I think that's very intentional because Don Don's real persona is still there like dick whitman is still kind of like people know him there or at least one person and and so the fact that he's let me finish okay go ahead (laughs) the fact that he is going there to the fact that that him going there feels fake is is ironic in a really cool way because He's really going there. It, he's really closest to himself when he's there. It's really closest to reality when he's there. And and his East Coast Don Draper is not at all real. Uh, and, but they make it feel dreamy. They make it feel otherworldly because that's how he feels when he's kind of uh, going back to himself. And uh, it's goddamn they handled that so well. I think I I agree with you that. Um, it does feel very dreamy, and it, it doesn't quite feel real. But I think one of the most important things that happens or that makes this visit to the West different from his other trips out there is that he's he's not getting any satisfaction now from reconnecting to his his true Dick Whitman self, where you know he doesn't have the pretense of being named Don Draper. Like this time when he goes out and he reconnects with Stephanie Draper, it's just it it feels empty just like everything else and basically the entire last season of the show feels empty or maybe the yeah. entire show itself yeah. but by the end i felt like don was able to kind of fully embrace the don draper and that he didn't feel like he was or he, he kind of is feeling like he's living a lie but by the end he doesn't feel that he's really dick whitman and that everything is a sham and he kind of has literally he's can we talk about the ending shot would that be <laughs> yeah, too much of a spoiler i don't think that's yeah when he's spoiler. when he's literally meditating there and the, the serene smile on his face and um and then cuts to the ad yeah the coke ad like that i think is him coming to terms with and being at peace with don draper yeah and and letting go of his past and all of those things but uh, something that an AV club reviewer, the guy who reviews it every week, John Teddy, I think, um, he pointed out that this is not the first time that Don. I mean, it, it, it is explicitly said multiple times in, in the last few episodes that like Don just leaving all of a sudden is nothing new, and he always comes back. Is something that people kept saying is like, well, he'll come back. He always comes back, and 
they made it seem as if this time he might not be actually coming back. And it, it seemed like he had determined that he wasn't going to come back. And then they end with an ad that is apparently made by him. And so he came yeah. back. And so it's almost, I don't know, I, it's, I wouldn't call it a cynical ending, but you could interpret it a little cynically because it's like, it's just the cycle, you know? Yeah. It's a cycle that he's okay with. That, that he's finally accepted. I guess that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And yeah. he, before, he kind of had to come back. He was wealthy-ish, but by the time he leaves now in season seven, he's literally a millionaire on the road in the 60s, which were the late 60s, early 70s. Which then is just more money than you could ever spend. And it, it or at was least never, it was never in doubt that he would come back before either. Like it was always yeah. just like, well, I'll, he'll he'll leave for a week. Yeah, this time he kind of just abandoned everything, and of course, while he's gone, we get to watch everything fall apart for every other character. It's yeah, uh, the, the the ending of that show is just done so well. It's. It might be my favorite ending of a TV show, or you know, Breaking Bad's ending was strong in its own I way because it was not, very. I did not like Breaking Bad's ending. I did. I I didn't think it it begged for the kind of literary uh, complexity. It, maybe that was part of my problem with it. It's like that that was part part of my problem with Breaking Bad all the way through was that it felt like it could be a little more deep or just meaningful than it ever was like by the time it always got to the finale each season any kind of meaning that it was reaching for felt like it lost and i felt the same way for the finale where he he reaches a redemption that i don't feel like he maybe deserved and it it was a little too perfect uh everything just happened too perfectly yeah it might have been too perfect but it still did to me at least it felt like it felt like it earned that ending it felt like everything was building up to it and it happened and I don't know. I, I was okay with it. I didn't yeah. really mind that it was what I expected. This, it's kind of interesting. It wasn't what I expected, but I remember distinctly toward the start of the show when I started watching it back in like 2010 or something. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if they just ended the show on that Coke ad? The I'd like to teach the world to sing. Oh, really? Hillside ad. But like, it's not that. That's not like a crazy guess or call because that's the most famous ad of all time. It would totally make sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, there's been know, a lot though. Yeah, but it, at the same time, that's not like where the substance of the ending is. Even if you knew that that ad was going to be featured prominently in the final episode of the show, it still it still executes the actual character stuff in a unique way and one that still felt right did you catch the 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 little hint that they dropped that uh there were several did you did you catch the one with the the woman with pigtails who looks exactly like the person in the commercial yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's the that's um you know when i first saw it i was pretty sure that don went back to to mccann to do that yeah but um, you know, there was still a little bit of ambiguity, but when I went back and I saw the pigtail girl, I was like, okay, yeah, absolutely. When, yeah, when they first started showing the commercial, I didn't think that it was necessarily saying that Don had gone back, but then when that girl showed up in the commercial, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear to me, at least. Uh, that, that, they, that's something that, that the, those creators are really good at doing is, is there's a lot of implications in the show that aren't explicitly stated, 
but they explicitly state it in a very clever kind of roundabout way where it hints enough at you where even if you're a little dense like me, you can still figure it out. <laughs> uh, if you don't necessarily understand their intentions, they, they spell it out, but not directly, not through dialogue or not, not like, you know, it, it's not that, that stuff that kind of brings you out of the immersion. It, it, they, they, they weave it in really, really cleverly. And in that case, I thought that was kind of genius actually is that like he's literally inspired by the people that he's around at this place and and puts them into the commercial and 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 it serves the double purpose of you being able to connect those 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 lines uh very yeah and um this is probably the last i want to say about it before our bonus in-depth discussion but um that that scene where well two scenes the one where don is talking on the phone to betty and then when Don is in the circle at the end, those were just the two of the best scenes the show's ever put out. Yes, very very emotional. Uh, Mad Men tends to be emotional, but usually like I don't feel it that much, and I think that's part of the intent too. Is that like Don isn't someone who experiences emotions very strongly? Yeah, like uh, I don't think he's ever gotten like that on the show. I don't no, think he's ever not gotten that I remember on the verge of tears that way. Uh, there there might have been a couple moments but like yeah part of the I, god again like it's it's kind of a genius that the creators they make you feel emotional with the character that up to this point hasn't really felt that many emotions and 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 it's it's a really strong effect that unfortunately i think that might be part of the reason a lot of people were turned away from admin because like i hear a lot about people who make it even two or three seasons in and then just say well it's boring or i just not caught by like I, it just doesn't draw me in and in retrospect, that feels almost like part of their intent that it's like, you know, it, most of it is, is circling around Don Draper's life. And, and he is a person who, as we find out in the finale, struggles to connect with people and has been struggling to connect with people the whole time. And, and I think there's almost a, a, a legitimate intent by the creators to make you feel that as well. Like a little bit, uh, uh, yeah, through, like like you're looking through a screen at these people, not 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 like you're actually feeling what they're feeling, and and not until the finale where it's like actually a very emotionally impactful uh, a few scenes. All the all the scenes where he was on the phone, uh, the the reviewer, the AV Club reviewer, pointed out that God, who was it that mentioned there were three women in every man's life in the show? You remember yeah, he that? Does make, um, yeah, I think I read the reviewer talking about uh, some. J, I think the name added J in it. Um, yeah. But I, I know what you're saying, that Don had, makes three phone calls to three different women mm-hmm. at the end, and all of them are hugely meaningful conversations that I didn't I didn't know they would do. And I was kind of wondering how they would tie it all up with Don on the other side of the country. Yeah. But those phone calls were a really effective way to do it, and I think that might have actually even been more satisfying than if those scenes were able to take place in person because he needs to be disconnected for us to feel that he can't connect to other people. Yeah. Uh, That's a very good point. That's something I hadn't really thought about. Oh, and can we talk about really briefly the, to me, this was the best opening to an episode yet (laughs) or the whole time. Yeah. Him just driving full speed through the desert. I was like, what the fuck is this madman? Cause like, I actually have to give some context to this because I, I I had to find uh, just a, a really sketchy website to torrent this this episode from because I was on vacation and uh <laughs> and I found finally found this website and torrented it and it didn't 
like I was like the whole time I was sorting it, I was like, I'm not sure that this is even legit. It was very soon after it had aired, and uh, <laughs> and then that scene opens up the episode, and I'm going, oh my god, that someone's playing a prank or whatever. But then I realized it was Don at the driver's seat, and I was like, holy shit, that was cool. Um, but yeah, that that opening, I liked that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I really like how uh, there's so much to like about it, but. Don, like the whole arc of Mad Men, if you had to summarize all of it, is that Don is so good at describing happiness to other people and selling it to them, but he can't sample it. Yeah. yeah. But by like the, the very last moment of the show is him finally getting a taste of actual happiness. And it's it's just a perfect a perfect resolution to that show. It couldn't be better. Yeah, and they tie it in, too, with the overall cultural movements going on in those times. And, it, it, it God, they're good. I, I, I am going to be following... God, what is his name? The guy... Uh, Matthew Weiner? Yes, Matthew Weiner. I'm going to be following whatever he does next, for sure, because it's just, to me... Like, I'm, I'm, I, Mad Men isn't my favorite show on television. It, it's in my top five, but, like... I'm, I like The Sopranos more. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of exactly like <laughs> what my ranking would be, but it wouldn't be a number one on my list. But as far as God, as far as like depth and complexity, I, it is number one. Like it, just the the things that they do with the show uh, isn't being done anywhere else. And and someone pointed out on like so some random internet comment stuff that I read lately. Someone pointed out that. That right now television is at a an a, a an intelligent and emotional level that that movies aren't for so, like somehow television yep. is surpassing movies uh, on that level on that intellectual level and and it's really surprising because television has always been like the the hand me down kind of kind of medium uh, and right now it's and and ironically television's dying but. It, but as it's dying, the best shows are coming out, and and God, I I, I hope it. I hope the trend keeps going. I, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving all these fantastic shows, and and you get so much more out of. Like at first, I didn't like the idea of of just a television series that lasts so long, so much longer than a movie. I still I still almost prefer the condensed versions of movies. But you you can really do a lot if you've got all the time. Of a, of a full series to to flesh out your characters and stuff and if, if if you're a skilled creator the things that they've been doing is 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 just awesome yeah yep okay so we should probably leave the rest of mad men for our yeah. secret spoiler cast that we'll announce at some point but do we want to talk about the witcher 3 uh briefly Quite a bit of news because related to it yeah there's some news related to it i guess uh neither of us have Oops, excuse me. Played me. Played it. Uh, I, yeah, sure. You, you you lead the way. Okay, so first we'll talk about the downgrade. There was a substantial downgrade in the way the game looks, which is strange because it still probably is the best-looking game ever made at this point, but it was downgraded in a pretty significant way with, I think, particle effects, grass and um like foliage and textures but yeah it still looks great the best looking game anyone's ever made but it's noticeably worse but it's kind of nice the way they handled it um cd product 
CD Projekt talked to Eurogamer and acknowledged it. And they said, basically, they were pretty honest about it and said, when we tried to make the whole game look that good, it just didn't run. And hmm. uh, they're releasing a patch, or they actually already have released the patch that's supposed to make it look not quite as good as what they showed, but substantially better. And from what I, the brief little bit I got to look at that patch, it seems to be true that it does make things look quite a bit better. Um, but yeah, I, the only real interesting takeaway, I think, is that the, this time the developer's actually acknowledging the downgrade, which is kind of the best you can hope for. Yeah, I'm skimming the article now. I'm looking at the quotes uh, from the developers, and it's it's awesome how transparent they are and how like blunt they are with just like, these are the realities of game development here were our priorities. Instead of trying to make a game that works with all of the graphics that we want, instead we focused on this stuff that just makes the gra- the game work for everyone. Because uh, like at first I was confused when you mentioned that there was a downgrade. I hadn't heard of it. Uh, but I knew that it looked much better on PC than consoles, and so I knew it wasn't like that that kind of downgrade where it's like, oh, we have to even out the, the graphics. Uh, but it, yeah, there, if, this uh, Eurogamer article really goes into depth about kind of like how they handled just the development process behind all the graphics changes they made. I, I wish, I wish more developers were this, this upfront about all of their, uh, about their development of it. Everyone's so secretive. And, and a lot of the times I think that it, it leads to worse press when you're so secretive about these kinds of decisions that are made before the game's released. But, uh, I mean, when you, when you're just upfront about it and you say, here's why we did it, people, won't get so freaked out, won't get so pissed yeah. off at you. They still, I mean, they still were a little defensive in a negative way that they they said trailers are meant to make the game look as good as it can look and that everything shot perfectly and that it's going to look more polished. That I can't really defend because when but you that's... show a gameplay, when you show a gameplay trailer, it's kind of implied that that's what the game should actually be. Um, you know, I mean, it's gotten to the point where now you don't expect it to look anything like it anymore, but that shouldn't be a good thing or an acceptable thing that yeah. we we can understand optimizations happen, but, you know, gameplay trailers, when it gets closer to release, should reflect what the current state of the game is. But it, it has gotten to the point where the standard is set above reality <laughs> for any kind of gameplay trailer and every single, when every single other publisher is 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 releasing trailers that aren't actually reflective of how their game looks being the one that does release a trailer that's reflective of how the game looks makes your game look just a little bit worse because people are expecting it to look better i I mean it's a terrible situation i don't like it at all but like i'm glad that they're being honest about it is all i'm saying like i can't i can't necessarily blame them for making that decision like you want to make your product look as good as possible period uh I, I, it is dishonest, though. Uh, but but again, it's dishonesty followed by hey, honesty in the article. So I don't know. I I, I want to praise them because I've never seen or not never, but like recently with big games, big budget games like this, I've, I've I haven't seen that kind of transparency. It's it's pretty refreshing to see that. Yep. In other Witcher three news, Polygon reviewed it, oh. and it's caused some caused a, a stir, a bit of a stir. So they gave it an eight out of ten, which. You doesn't really matter if a certain outlet gives it a low score, but you know well, people come to score. expect that from poly. Well, relative, relative to yeah, relative to every other score the game's gotten from every other outlet, it is. But it's Polygon. You kind of figure they're going to do stuff like that. But this time, it's 
way over the top, even for Polygon. So they actually devoted eight full paragraphs of the review exclusively to misogyny and racism in the game. And they, it's kind of interesting, because from what I'm playing of The Witcher 2, this is, it's just ridiculous to suggest that these are, a, quote, oppressively misogynistic developers. Mm. Because in this world of The Witcher, the most powerful entities in it, for as far as I can tell, are the sorceresses. Um, I mean, they're far and away more powerful than every man in the game. And the the one female supporting character, Triss, in The Witcher 2 is very strong, but not a caricature of a strong, independent woman either. Like, it's a well-written female character. A real person? Anyway, yeah, imagine that. But, you know, it's where do you start? They say that they... they <sighs> It's only white people in the game. This game only has oh, white people in it, not a colored face to be found. And the whole, it's based on Slavic mythology. It wouldn't make any sense if you had non-white people just wandering about. You could have foreigners who look different, but you don't really need that either. That would just, it's whether you want it or not, or whether it makes sense. Um, yeah, so the, the review is terrible. Yeah. Um, now, Adrian Schmeilars, I think that's how you pronounce it, Schmeilars. <laughs> it's a nice Schmeilars, attempt, not. Yeah, whoever. Uh, the guy who um, directed Ethan Carter and who's wrote a few articles about Anita Sarkeesian and um, Gamergape. He's, he's good. He writes good stuff. And he wrote a review of the Polygon review, and he called it The Boy Who Cried White Wolf. The author of the Polygon review is Arthur Geese. Uh. Geis. You know, who's a pretty terrible person. You'd recognize him um, by his polygonal face in his Twitter profile, and it shows yeah. up in all of these racial and, and sexist arguments on, on Twitter, and it's the most obnoxious thing in the world. Go on. Yeah, but he, he just dismantles this guy in his review, and it's it needed to be done because he put into words what what's pretty obvious to most people, I would hope, um, that, you know, it's not... It's not the obligation of a work of fiction to depict a peaceful ideal. Like, yeah, a utopia it, or whatever. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, I, that's okay. There's a trend right now in, in literary or any, not literary criticism, mostly game criticism, because I, I think it's because it's in still it's in, in its infancy and game critics are just nobodies in, in the overall journalistic world. Uh, but, there's a trend right now to say that a portrayal of sexism or racism or any social issue is that social issue, is an issue. Uh, so if the game has a character acting really terribly towards a woman, that yeah. that means the game is sexist. He has Not a really, that the game is commenting on sexism. He has a really tightly crafted rebuttal to to Arthur G's guys. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but he says, "So here I have to assume that Geist understands that when compared to the actual real world, the violence is exaggerated in The Witcher Three. That it's basically an often grim, often cruel fantasy world. But why is such a world a problem? Is the reviewer confusing portrayal with endorsement? Should art be propaganda for a peaceful life? Should art avoid disturbing universes?" And then he asks for some consistency 
with uh, which violent worlds full of sex are okay and which ones aren't. And then he quotes some of Arthur Geis' tweets where he's, you know, raving about watching Game of Thrones with the rest of the Polygon staff. And it's just funny. It's a really, really effective response. Yeah. And his, uh... I think it's, it's like, exploded in popularity. Like, it's it was, like, a 200,000 readers at the time I read it, which was, like, a week ago. That one sentence... Um where he says is he confusing portrayal with endorsement is i think he could just he could have just edit if i had to edit the article i would just remove everything before and after that (laughs) sentence because to me that was exactly what the review was doing it was just like the game's portraying this and therefore it is endorsing this and and i mean you could just criticize you could criticize any any good or decent work of art portrays something bad because that's what life is and that's what art does and god damn it just stop like god damn it how can these people call themselves professionals how can they like how did they get through i I assume they took all sorts of like english classes and literary classes in school and and somehow they got through all those and decided well you know god damn it i don't even i I, it's it, it it shouldn't even need to be said how ridiculous the argument is that and and Anita Sarkeesian already did it. And her uh I think in the first tropes versus women's in video games or whatever uh video, she uh kept using a clip, I think from the first or second Witcher, where someone was treating whores badly. And, and the guy was clearly a villain in the game. Like he was acting like a total asshole and 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 saying something derogatory about whores. And she kept showing the clip as a as an argument for for yeah. the, the bad treatment of women in video games, and I'm thinking like, what did you do? Like, do you not understand what they're doing? By it's a really simple thing. I mean, like it's it's making a villain do something bad, so you don't like the villain. Like, this is the most basic level of writing. Like, you make bad people do bad things. You can't have everyone's support diversity and 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 equal sexes and jesus yeah, christ line of dialogue yeah and then and then i gotta go on here i i was because i was i, I kind of researched into this i i got into a little fit of rage one day at my at my vacation i was i was on vacation enjoying myself until i saw this article uh arthur g's or whatever his name is uh he defends his argument by saying well, Witcher is fantasy, and so people who say it's just portraying, you know, Scandinavians, uh, white people, a, a whole white, you know, like there were no there were no minorities in ancient Northern Europe. Uh, people, he says, well, there were no griffins there either, or dragons, or wizards, or so. So why can't you have you know black people? Uh, and he's 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 making a fundamental mistake, which is that it's not just portraying the Scandinavian culture or, or, or society, it's portraying their, their whole, well, it's portraying their culture. It's portraying their mythology. It's, it's portraying their lore, which if you put people from other parts of the world into that mythology, it's going to be very, uh, weird. It's going to put you off instantly. Like, that doesn't make sense. And so just something I noticed while playing through Dragon Age Inquisition is like it was very clear come a certain point that there was just no thought given whatsoever to what the characters look like. They they were designed in like a very arbitrary way. Like you'd just be walking 
to the streets and then a conversation will start up and then this one person looks physically exactly like a white person but their skin is black like they didn't even they're like trying to include the other races but they don't actually look like other races and it just feels like arbitrary like it's just included for the sake of because it is arbitrary yeah well it is and like there'd be people who are supposed to be of like the same in-game ethnicity or from the same region who are just different races for no reason and it's like they kind of that whole fantasy world falls apart because it just kind of assumes that a melting pot a melting pot culture is the default and that everything is like that and it's not you know there's a historical context to why the United States is that way. Yeah. It, it has to be justified in some in-game sense because there's a, physical differences arise in different geographic places. Anyway, we uh, could have a whole discussion about that. Well, I, I do want to read... You can, okay. I want to read this third-to-last paragraph from the review of the review because okay. this really put something that had to be put into words into right. words. Okay. I did consider ignoring this review, but it already went boom, and I think that exposing its weaknesses, I'm being courteous here, helps in the long run anyway, even if every now and then a website has a traffic spike. Soon, it's already happening to a certain degree. I sort of mentioned it above, and personally, I'm already in the first stages of indifference. Nobody is going to care, and no amount of misogyny and sexism is going to draw the crowds anymore. I thought that was a good point. I hope so too. It, it does feel like it's kind of losing steam. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've been thinking that for a couple of years now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, God damn it, it, it! To to like people always say like these these reviews these articles are clickbait. You know, they're they're just ways to get people. They're uh, contrived con- controversy, uh, and and that they, people they just want clicks, and you shouldn't pay any attention to them. But the thing is that, like, this Arthur Gius guy, he is, or at least would appear to be, a respected member of the journalism clique. Uh, they all talk to each other. They, you know, they communicate and they, they act like each other's views are respected. And that is something that I think is a serious problem. I mean, obviously, everyone knows that the, the gaming journalism industry sucks it's been known for a while now uh if if gamergate accomplished one thing that was it uh but the fact that they're not doing anything about it like pisses me more off more and more every time something like this happens because he makes he, he does a review like this where half the review is spent arguing something that that doesn't make sense on a fundamental literary criticism level like it just doesn't make like it's not something that is an arguable uh point and nobody else except a game developer calls him out on it nobody everyone just acts like it either didn't happen or that it's a it's a it's just his opinion whatever but it's 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 absurd like you read it a logical person reads it and they say this is this doesn't make sense this is a terrible piece of of criticism but yet he's he remains to be this respected member of the the journalism, like I said, of the clique. And it's just this... And people yeah, people click, always use the term... The clique lends legitimacy to itself by patting itself on the back. Yeah. And, and it, you know, retweeting other people's I articles. Think everyone's, I think everyone's afraid to criticize each other. Like, all of the faces in the industry don't want to piss off the other faces. And, and it's become this very... 
this this word gets used a lot, but I think it's very accurate when it comes to the entire game industry. It's become very incestuous. It's like you pat me on the back, I'll pat you on the back. Everyone's happy. We don't have to listen to anyone else, and and we're all happy. It's all fine. Everything's good, and uh, it can't last. It doesn't like that. Does not last. As if if it, and the ironic thing is that my impression of game journalists is that they want the medium to be accepted as an art form and 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 kind of transcend the 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 societal views of it being a a, a toy. The ironic thing is, if that happens, they're going to be the first ones out. <laughs> Because nobody takes them seriously, and nobody yep. should take them seriously. So it's a it's a weird situation, and I, the 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 thing is, I just don't see it moving away from the way it currently is. Like right now, Gamergate or not, all that crap, I don't think that's really doing anything to actually change stuff. It's 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 just continuing the way it always has, and it's it is weird, uh, and it's it's pretty frustrating. Yep. <laughs> There's yeah, it's just kind of hopeless when you get to thinking about. How, how, if ever, you'll be able to expose this. It's already been exposed. It's just, there's, now what? <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. It's It's been laid bare, as bare as it could possibly have been. But it's, you know, they and, still somehow have legitimacy in some public eye. I don't know if it's the actual public's eye, but I some think, group of people. I do think they're supported by kind of a, uh, uh, a more broader um trend in journalism like we we've mentioned before like the gonzo journalism trend of vox and and slate and vice and all these all these outlets that are trying to you know go against the grain and 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 really like they're edgy and all that stuff and i i feel like they're supported by that kind of the acceptance of 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 these really out there kind of views uh, that in a lot of ways are like people think that they're people get on Twitter and they express their crazy views and everyone that, that follows them also agrees with them on their crazy views. They're only a few thousand people, but they're all there. And so they think that they're bigger than they really are. Um, so that's my hope is that, that, that they're not quite as legitimate as it, or they're not seen as legitimately as it seems like they are. But then like every time I start seeing people that I like to follow, people who I enjoy and people who I, I read their stuff or I, you know, just follow them on Twitter or whatever. A lot of them go along with it. A lot of them are fine with it. And it's, it, it drives me crazy. Like, like just, ah, I don't know. There's not much, much to say about it. It's just, it's annoying. We've talked a lot about it in, in previous episodes too. It's it's an ongoing thing, and it's not going to stop anytime soon, unfortunately. Yep. And there's actually, depressingly, more news related to this kind of thing. Great. Uh, so Reddit. Let's talk about Reddit. Reddit oh, section. Yeah. Um, the interim CEO Ellen Powell, who's already had heaps of controversy over her manufactured. Um, se- sexism lawsuit that she filed against the venture capital firm she used to work for. The The long story short of that is that she was bad at her job, she was unpleasant to work with, and there was quite a bit of evidence of that, and like had an affair with somebody at the company, and it was just messy and stupid. And um, she tried to claim that the firm was sexist against her and discriminated against her. It was a pretty clear verdict. They found that none of those counts of sexism happened, 
and she lost categorically. But there was a big media frenzy over it because they said, well, even though she lost, she still raised awareness and started the conversation. It didn't start a conversation. This conversation about sexism and STEM and tech and capital, that's been happening for, for years. I mean, and, and she kills the conversation yeah, if she lies about poisons it. poisons it. So, so that's her. her. And it's kind of funny that the damages she was seeking were identical in monetary value to the amount that her husband owes in uh, a fraud case <laughs> that he lost. <laughs> Great. She sounds like so, a real yeah, winner. She's a real fucking scumbag, but she's uh, she's the CEO of Reddit right now, interim CEO, so not president, or not, not CEO forever, but for now. And she spearheaded a new set of rules for Reddit. And uh, it's summed up basically... In this one quote she gave in an interview, we are not a completely free speech platform. And uh, they implemented some rules that basically say if something that somebody says on Reddit makes another person feel unsafe, then it won't be allowed on the site. Mm. So now Reddit is now the safe space SJW haven where you shouldn't you know, uh, publicize dangerous ideas because it might make people feel unsafe. I mean, it's kind of been, ever since the Gamergate controversies with tons of threads being deleted, people have kind of known this, that unpopular speech isn't taken kindly to there. But now it's, like, officially in the rules. <laughs> that, yeah, because, you know, like... You gotta a, be safe. A lot of that censorship and stuff that, that, that people dislike about Reddit is is a smaller issue than reddit as a whole like a lot of it's just well it's how that particular forum is moderated you know like they can all set their own rules and stuff uh but th this is a rule that that uh, applies is enacted to the across, site. yeah and and it and it has like god it drives me crazy it, again it's this trend towards like if you're hurting people's feelings in some ways and and it's up to them what their feelings are uh then you're 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 doing something wrong and 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 you should be punished for it or or at least your your voice should be suppressed cuz their feelings are more important than your feelings and whatever i did you I, hear about bahar mustafa at uh, goldsmiths university no she had like some event she's a diversity officer at the university and she had some event where white people and men were not allowed Oh, which was I ag against the against the so much some actual laws in England as well as some guidelines of the university, and then she tried to give the defense of racism is privilege plus power. This isn't being discriminatory, and then she gave this tearful, not tearful, but like you know, look at all this solidarity. I've got surrounded by women. I'm going to take a stand. But prior to that, before things blew up in her face. She posted like a a picture on her Twitter, standing in, next to a sign that said "Male Tears," and then she does this little smug little smile and fake fake tear. Like it's it's just so how whatever. <laughs> what can you say anymore? You know, going back to our Mad Men discussion about how things are cyclical, uh, how Don Draper's life is cyclical, and he goes through the same phases over and over, and and it always seems like this is the end of things, but then it isn't. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this happened in the 90s and then it stopped because people space realized thing? it was ridiculous. Not so much, like, not the same exact thing, but like, again, like, I, I, well, I was, I was not old enough 
to remember this, but I've I've read enough things in general to to understand that during I think the mid to late nineties there was like there was a feminist movement that that went beyond feminism and went towards like women are now better than men and men don't deserve any and all that crap, you know? And 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 killed the discussion because they they took it to such an extreme. And and then it and then nobody took it seriously at all. And then nobody and then the word feminist had such a negative connotation that nobody wanted to call themselves a feminist, even though they were actually one of the good ones, so to speak. But like I think it's happening again. I think right now there's so much shit to do with with feelings and 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 like well i'm i'm the good guy you're the bad guy my opinions are right because i'm good and you're bad and your opinions are bad the the extreme that it's being taken to repeatedly is i mean you've already had the backlash of like gamergate and stuff but there's still that there's still this overall sentiment of like well the people who are criticizing these these extreme feminists are bad people yeah uh that's not going to last because when your when your opinion doesn't make sense when or when you are or when you are clearly being hypocritical like saying that that all males are bad people are going to push back against that and and the sad part about it is and the cyclical part about it is that what ends up happening is then people just don't take feminism seriously at all to any extent and people say well you know that we don't care about any of those issues, any women issues whatsoever. It's it because, because the, the loud minority of, or I don't know if we're a minority, but the loud people spoke so loudly with such a ridiculous attitude that now we can't take it seriously at all. And you could argue the same happens in the opposite direction with like Gamergate and stuff like that. You know, the, the loudest people made it look so ridiculous that nobody could be taken seriously, but I, the, it it can't it can't last it can't last yeah it's not sustainable i mean people are already kind of there's a case at columbia have you probably heard about the mattress girl um sh- this girl claimed that she was raped sophomore year it was a false accusation but the police and the university concluded that there was no evidence at all that this guy had raped her um, but then she went on to like publicly post the guy's information and picture and basically shitting on him in line and doing a few art projects about the guy, making him look like a violent piece of shit. And then her final act of protest is to bring her mattress that she claims to have been raped on with her to graduation. And she did it, but she wasn't really met with the response she was hoping. Like the president of the university refused to shake her hand. It was pretty good. Uh, and then there's um, now posters at the college calling her a liar, which I never would have thought would have been able to get put up, but people seem to be waking up to yeah. these sorts of things that you don't just blindly accept these sort of uh, radical feminist cries and it's it's satisfying when that happens when when people who are just clearly being absurd are caught out on it and 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 kind of publicly shamed uh but the unfortunate result of it is that the 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 whole pendulum kind of swings to the other end and, yeah. and suddenly nobody's taken seriously and and suddenly rape you know actual rape is an issue that nobody cares about for a few years and it's like holy shit you, you oh, people yeah, are it, you people are are committing a disservice to 
the 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 point that you're trying to make. The most harm of false rape allegations isn't to the people who are falsely accused. It's to the actual rape victim who can't get taken seriously. Yeah, and and oh yeah, people will realize that too in time. But goddamn, it's it's very frustrating to watch watch that cycle continue to to go. Yep. So why don't we talk about something less depressing, like Osama bin Laden? <laughs> yeah, um, Osama bin Laden. Uh, turns out he may have been a gamer. I, I knew it the whole time. Or I mean, it it was there was something going on. He was either a gamer or he trained other gamers. Uh, they when they raided Osama bin bin Laden's compound and secured his possessions. Uh, they have, they have, they have today, I think they publicly released the books that Osama bin Laden kept, uh, amongst those books, one, there was a, uh, a GameSpot video game guide and a video guy, a video game guide for, I think it was, uh, oh, Delta Force Extreme 2 or something like that. Uh, some like kind of low budget, uh, Navy SEALs simulator game and uh and the news headlines are saying that he may have trained people with it uh but that's the news osama bin laden uh was just like you and me he he played video games and he enjoyed video games and uh you know rip rip bin laden i don't know if they're actually like i don't think anybody's gone on to make the conclusion that you kind of expect some people might make that the video games were somehow negatively contributive. I think finally that argument, or maybe, you know, maybe this is another cycle and we're in the, we're in the, the trough of the cycle and it's about to accelerate again. And suddenly we're going to be seeing Fox news uh, segments about it. But I think people have finally come around to the idea that, Hey, maybe video games aren't, you know, the devil's work and aren't turning people into killers. Uh, because yeah terrorists, I, I, literal it, terrorists i mean this was kind of breaking news uh when we started the podcast so there's still time for fox news to pick it up and and turn it into a your your children are being trained to be terrorists story. i'm looking at the uh patrick klepik article about it and he manages to resist the temptation so i'm a little bit hopeful there well he's a but he likes video games so he does but the you problem know, is when people who don't like video games get a hold of the story. If Kotaku's not doing it, <laughs> it might be that nobody will. Perhaps. Um, <laughs> so, so not much to say about that. Um, yeah. What's What's this about Rockstar? Okay, so the BBC is said to be making a documentary, well, they are, about um, Grand Theft Auto. And there really aren't many details about it, but it seems to be about the whole history of like the 3D games and the Jack Thompson controversies, because the working title of it is Game Changer, and is cast, rumored, Daniel Radcliffe in the role of Sam Hauser and Bill Paxton as infamous game industry gadfly Jack Thompson. I haven't seen that but name in a Ro- while. Yeah, but Rockstar is suing them. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly how they were being portrayed in this but they said that they had talked to the bbc and tried to resolve something but 
didn't quite reach a resolution and now they're trying to protect their trademarks. I don't know. If I had to put my money down, which, you know, is tenuous because we don't know anything, but they're probably not being portrayed in as good a light as they'd want. That's the only really reason I could think for that. I don't know if they'd be totally... Is it legal to... It, it's got to be legal to make a documentary well, about something. It would be press, right? Is it a documentary or is it a it movie? It is a documentary. I think it's... Well, I think it might be like a docudrama. It's a documentary with like reenactments, I suppose. I, th- I think it might be like almost... It's not, you know, the subject matter is different, but it might be kind of American sniperish kind of documentary uh, right. where it's a there are characters being, yeah, story. like a dramatization almost. Yeah. Uh, then, then Rockstar has zero credibility unless with this with this lawsuit, unless they are literally lying about what Rockstar has done in the past, which I doubt they are. Uh, I, I always hate to see, I always hate to see lawsuits over stuff like this where it's like. Well, you're using our property, and it, I mean they're telling the story. And and if it's about Jack, Jack Thompson, I can assure you that Rockstar is not the the villain of the story because Jack Thompson, it's going to be very hard to portray him in a good light. I think, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, that I hope I hope that just fizzles out because I I would I would hate to see because that actually sounds kind of interesting. Like the story maybe would be kind of cool. It, it might be a, an interesting little movie. Uh, and if if Rockstar nips that in the bud because they don't like that they're using their property or some shit, if it's some kind of like out of principle almost like lawsuit, and it just ends up killing the whole thing, that will make me unhappy. But yeah. uh, we don't know the details, so that's all conjecture. Yeah, their their explanation does sound kind of fishy. This is what Rockstar actually said. Um, our goal is to ensure that our trademarks are not misused in the BBC's pursuit of an unofficial depiction of purported events related to Rockstar Games. So, yeah, I, it doesn't really sound that credible. Um, it sounds to me like they the wouldn't fact, win the lawsuit. The fact but... that they're actually filing the lawsuit, they probably think that they can win it. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. BB, the BBC isn't going to be scared by a law a single lawsuit um i mean yeah, they've got to take it seriously tactic. but yeah it, they're not going to be effectively intimidated from backing down off the project if they do have a legitimate grounds to make it but yeah we don't know much about it yeah we'll see i'd, I'd like to see that made even if it's terrible <laughs> um who right. is sam hauser like what is he did he see the original director of one of the grand theft autos or all of them I'm looking because the name's Hauser. definitely familiar. English video game producer and developer, developer co-founder, of Rockstar. co-founder. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I think it's kind of interesting that someone decided to make a, a movie about that story. That like nobody's even like at least to me, the whole story of like Jack Thompson versus GTA is something I haven't even thought about for like the last decade. I thought about Jack Thompson, but really? only because of pieces comparing um, Anita Sarkeesian to Jack Thompson. <laughs> the same, the same kind of moral panic over over video games. It's not right. not 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 anything new. Webcam's freaking out. Um, well, anyway, I want to move on to our uh, to our recurring segment: news nobody cares about. I don't have anything for this week. I mean, we've kind of already 
had. I mean, we could just read through a thing. I only have one thing for this week for news nobody cares about. Uh, <laughs> the the beloved franchise Need for Speed is getting a reboot. Okay. They're they're rebooting it. They're going back to their roots uh, because Need for Speed uh, has had such a uh, a lively group of characters and and such a a, a deep and, and twisting story that the, that it, it really needed to be rebooted. It it, it couldn't be. Uh, it couldn't just have a. They couldn't. They couldn't just make a new game with a suffix on it. They had to reboot it and call it simply Need for Speed. Yeah, I mean that's just a purely business decision they they want the people who have seen need for speed games on the shelves for years and never bought them to have a reason to get into it now i think they're appealing to nostalgia because they actually uh they said that i think they're doing both yeah they they said that they're they're kind of going back to like the need for speed underground style of like underground car racers who beef up their cars and use underglow uh which i don't know i i mean like if they're gonna do that then why not call it need for speed underground three or underground reignited or nitrous or something i i I don't know why you just call it need for speed because you know know. why do anything why do anything well life is meaningless uh it's all we're all gonna die and it's all eventually turn into stardust hogwash it is it's hogwash um all right i don't know yeah there's i mean there's all kinds of news that nobody would care about (laughs) we could go on on tv show Living Dead uh, yeah. creator, whatever. Uh, Shenmue soundtrack is coming to vinyl finally. Uh, have you Jesus. okay? Have you have you seen the hype around Mad Max? Yeah, I haven't seen the movie yet. I need to see the movie. I've heard some like men's rights people online are are oh. saying. That it's like feminist propaganda. Yeah, I've also from, seen from some what of that. I can tell, this seems to be the kind of feminism where it's like this isn't the kind of feminism complaining about microaggressions or you know structures of power and privilege. This is the kind of feminism where it's like don't keep women chained up in a cell to be used as <laughs> breeding machines. Like I what's think, the problem? I think they have a couple of female characters who who aren't just. I don't know, sex slaves. And so therefore, uh, this is a, uh, a feminist movie. Those, yeah, those are the kind of people on the other side of the pendulum that I was talking about who, uh, <laughs> were very loud on the other, the other side of the argument. I, yeah, I mean, the funny thing I, with that is that the, the first like major men's rights figure to, uh, to make a fuss about this, he was writing in response to, uh, a review of the movie written by like a feminist movie critic um and he hadn't seen the movie but he was just assuming that because this feminist critic had found some positive feminist things wow imagine that people can find something they're looking for in a movie because this critic had seen that he concluded that the movie must be feminist propaganda yeah, yeah that it, that stuff like that pisses me off pretty much just as much as the Anita Sarkeesian bullshit is people like like okay when I saw the first Star Wars trailer, it has the black guy in a stormtrooper outfit, and it implies that the protagonist is going to be female. Neither of those things even like even entered my mind as being strange to me. 
Like I was, I just watched the trailer and I thought it looks cool. And then I get online and I start seeing people saying like, Oh, it's got a black storm stormtrooper. It's, it's progressive and it's going to have a female main character and it's going to be great. The most feminist you can be or the most progressive you can be about race and sex is the way that like Star Wars and assumedly Mad Max. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I haven't seen Star Wars yet, yet either, but it seems like they just make actual characters. And if they're minorities or they're women is just part of the character. And, and when people call that out as being like overly feminist or whatever, like if, if when people say like, this is just, they're killing the industry and da, 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 that shit drives me crazy because it's, it's the kind of shit that, that people paint a brush over the whole, like if, if you, if you disagree with a feminist, then you're one of those people Then you're one of those people who, who just sounds completely insane. And I did God a search damn it. talking about this. I did a search uh, for star Wars, female protagonist on Google and the headlines are, they're funny. Um, why star Wars episode seven should, should have a female protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, does star Wars have a woman problem? <coughs> <laughs> Star Wars Episode Seven: Women should be a force to be reckoned with. See, yeah, people turn it into when people turn it into this political issue. When people make it like this thing, it, it kills any kind of uh, progress that it was making. With the progress, to me, like, like to me, it is progressive that I watched that trailer and didn't and wasn't st- uh, struck by the minorities or women in the trailer. And then these articles come out and they make me feel like, God damn it. This, okay, so this reminds me of something related to Crypt of the Necrodancer. And um, so apparently Anita Sarkeesian and Jonathan McIntosh both consult or work with a company called Silver String Media. And the developers of Crypt of the Necrodancer apparently worked with this company when they were figuring out what the story of their game was going to be. It doesn't have any impact on the gameplay at all, but I didn't know this um, going into it. And but it's kind of clear when you look at the cutscenes. They're like this for some reason. This really simple rhythm action role playing, or not role playing, but like roguelike dungeon crawler. It has a a story that doesn't need to be there, and it's about this like this girl. Her father like dies, and then she goes into the dungeon to save him. And they're so out of place in the rest of the game it's like these really shitty like flash animation drawn people just these like panning slideshows almost and then the protagonist is like this husky voice chick and every single one of her lines is like a display of look how independent i am and how little i need the advice of men <laughs> like it's it's a really it was distracting and i didn't know about this connection while i was watching it but whenever the cutscenes would go on i was just what this is ridiculous why is this in this video game yeah but it made sense once i learned the connection there yeah uh i don't know man video games yeah gaming beefy gamer milfs in my my video games (laughs) we need more of those and on that note uh it might be time to wrap up the pod show for today uh yep 
we should do an after show on yours because I'm gonna have to take care of something real quick. Yeah, after this. I was gonna say I have to take care of something too. Okay. Um, in that case, um, how about this? You start the stream and just put some video on there. I'll start. The, wait. I'll start the stream and I'll commit copyright infringement. All right. See you there. Uh, well, Hitbox. you could put one of your videos or well, my who knows? video. Who knows? I'd rather Game just commit. Theory. I'd rather just commit infringement. Hitbox.tv slash Sigmatic is my channel. Uh, go there, and maybe we'll have an after show. Yes. If you just got here, that's where you go. Don't worry about it. It's ending, but you don't have to worry about it. All right. This has been episode 30. Uh, tune in next week, which is only five days away, I guess. Uh, yeah, five days away. Uh, and we'll hopefully have more things to talk about. But E3 draws nearer. And news draws theater dinner. Good job. Good night. (laughs) Let's kill it.